Good morning, Forest View Church. It's a, it's a nice morning to be at home, I bet you're thinking, as another deluge of rain uh, falls down on the roof here at Forest View. If this was some sort of a, you know, a conference where people come from across the nation or across the continent to be together, I might ask that question or play that game that says, like, who traveled the furthest to be here? Now, I admit this is a bit of a setup because my daughter, Alexandria, is tuning in from Edmonton, and I think she would win the prize. I've heard that John Self is back safely from Europe. Uh, so, everyone, say hi to Alex and, uh, and welcome her home of sorts. We're glad you could be here with us, Alexandria. As uh, Nat has said, it is week two of Zoom Church. We are week three of not being physically together, and we are week four in our, ser in our sermon series on the Sabbath. Come back with me to week one of the series, if you will, and let me remind you that Nat opened it up by challenging us to think of Sabbath as a time for ceasing from delight, or ceasing and delight, not ceasing from delight, ceasing and delight, as evidenced by God's resting on the seventh day of creation. Not resting because God needed a vacation, but because he was delighted in all that he had made. And so it's this idea of delighting in creation that I want to pick up on today. And we'll begin with a reading from Genesis 2. The first two verses of Genesis 2 cap the Genesis 1 uh, creation narrative. And they say, Thus the heavens and earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. The two words that I want to pay attention to in this passage are rest and creation. The Hebrew word for rest is menuha and is best translated as joyful repose, tranquility, or delight. And on the first Sabbath, God took delight. And what did he take delight in? Well, he took delight in his creation. And if so, and, and so, if that's how God treated the first Sabbath, the question for us is, do we treat creation in the same way? Do we take delight in it? And I would guess all of you, or most of us, if not all of us, would answer with a resounding, well, yes, certainly we do. We, uh, we love to go for walks on the Bruce Trail, or I love to take my coffee down by the lake, or sit and read in my garden. And all these things, and in all these things, I find delight. But yet, I wonder if there are ways that we understand and view creation that are not about rest, delight, rest, and delight. So these are the things that I want us to think about today. Thinking back to the Genesis 2 reading from a moment ago, one thing that is obvious is that all that we see and observe in the natural world is God's. It is his. He has made it. Psalm 24 puts it beautifully. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. As clear as this may seem, I wonder in what ways are we guilty of viewing the earth, not as God's, but as ours to exploit and to use for our own pleasure. What I've learned over the past eight months where I've been uh, kind of closely looking at the subject of environmental stewardship is that you can't read a journal article or a book on the subject of ecology, stewardship, and Christian faith without coming across Lynn White. 
Lynn White is a historian who wrote a famous essay in 1967 titled The Historical Roots to Our e Ecological Crisis. And as the quote on the slide indicates, this essay lays the blame for ecological degradation at the feet of Christianity. Now, I believe we could counter-argue that there are traces of ecological concern throughout the historic, uh, throughout Christian history. In fact, White himself concludes his essay with a proposal that St. Francis of Assisi be made the patron saint of all ecologists, which makes you think it's not really historical Christianity he's picking on, but a modern Western version of Christianity. And so, if White is right about this, and I think in part that he is, what has caused Western Christianity to lose its way on this topic? Well, according to Christian thinkers like Howard Snyder, it's our doctrine of dominion. The doctrine of dominion believes that humans have divine authority to disregard creation and exploit the Earth's natural resources for our own interests. If you're a baby boomer or an early Gen Xer, and you grew up in the church, and I'm the latter in both of those, early Gen Xer, grew up in the church, chances are you're like me and you're familiar with the King James Version of the Bible, and you recognize that the word dominion comes from the King James translation of Genesis 1.28. In Genesis 1.27, it says, God has created man and woman. And in verse 28, it says, and God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. In reading this, certainly God has given the first humans divine authority. But divine authority to do what? If dominion does not mean used for your own purposes and gain, what does it mean? Well, here we need to look back at the Hebrew word for dominion, which is rada. Rada is about authority and leadership. It's a leadership of generous love that, as Paul Santmeyer puts, allows all things to be and to function in ways appropriate to their nature. That is a beautiful description of leadership from a Christian understanding, from a Christian view. It's a leadership of servanthood, serving those who you are responsible for, allowing them to function and become all that they are intended to be. So to further understand this, it's helpful for us to look at dominion in Genesis 1, 1.28 in view of Genesis 2.15. Genesis 2 uh, captures or is the second creation narrative uh, in the early scriptures. And in it, it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And what does it mean to take care of the garden? What does it mean to be a good gardener for God? Well, the Hebrew word for take care is shamar. Shamar implies a loving, caring, sustaining kind of keeping. In fact, it's the same word used in the blessing Aaron was instructed to give the people of Israel and that we often use here at Forsu as our benediction. So you'll recognize these words the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The, the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. The Lord bless you and keep. The Lord shamar you. 
we are to keep the earth in the same way that Aaron is asking God to keep the people of Israel. And in the same way that we are asking God to keep us when we apply that Aaron blessing to us as a church. So, does this mean that we don't dig quarries or drill for oil or spray pesticides on large crops? These are complex questions because as even Sarah Harmer, singer, songwriter, and local environmentalist in challenging the expansion of the Mount Nemo quarry says, we still need to build roads and houses. She understands that tension. And most of us still depend upon gas for our cars. And for most of us, it's hard to avoid food that comes from large-scale production facilities. Therefore, like social justice issues, which are too overwhelming for us to solve on our own, caring for creation is about simple changes that we can make in our everyday lives to be good earth keepers. We cannot change the world, but we can take responsibility for our own actions and seek incremental change. If you've been reading our new redesigned uh, You newsletter titled Movements, you'll have read how Maxine after reading a National Geographic story about plastic waste in our oceans, pledged to change her shopping and consumption habits in a way that keeps the earth. And for the next few months, you'll be reading stories of others, kids and adults alike, from our community who are taking small but important actions to walk more lightly upon the earth, to keep the earth. And, this is good news, when we return to our Force U building, Whenever that will be, you will be excited to see that we will have recycling and compost services. Woohoo! We're all celebrating here. Finally, maybe you have a story you can share. Or maybe you will be challenged by these stories and begin to ask yourself how will I delight in creation? What actions can I take to keep the earth and to honor God? As we think about delighting in creation and the overwhelming scope of this task, it's important for us as Christians to be rooted not in anxiety, but in hope. It's easy to feel anxiety about the state of our broken world. Otto Leopold, a mid-20th century environmentalist from Wisconsin, says in his book, A Sand County Almanac, one of the penalties of an ecological education is that one lives alone in a world of wounds. Yes, our world is wounded. And as you can imagine, being a conservationist and knowing what you know, it can be easy to feel helpless or hopeless. From a Christian worldview, we know that the world is wounded. We don't deny this, and we must be careful not to, rom not to romanticize nature. Yes, we marvel in God's beauty and creativity, but we know that nature is red in tooth and claw. We know that nature is dangerous. In late August 2004, I was, invited, I was invited on a memorial hike to Strathcona Provincial Park, a wilderness park in the center of Vancouver Island, organized by Dave, my late friend Richard's younger brother. Just one year earlier, Richard was planning to end a two-week solo holiday through Lower Mainland BC and Vancouver Island by embarking on a 60-day solo hike deep into the wilderness of, of Strathcona Provincial Park. So we started out early that final morning 
and he never returned. Aside from the tent and belongings at his campsite, at his campsite and the truck at his trailhead, there was no trace of him to be found. And so, though, and so for those of us, friends of Richard, heading out one year later on that same trail, on that same hike, we did so with the eerie awareness that nature had swallowed Richard. Whether it was a cliff or a cougar or a glacier lake, we don't know. All we know is that the wilderness was dangerous. And yet, though nature is dangerous and broken and subject to our human sin, as Christians, we live with a hope in the redemption of all things. Most of our theology about creation care comes from the Old Testament. However, an important passage for us is found in, in uh, Colossians 1, 15 to 20. This is a very familiar passage uh, uh, to us as Christians. It's, uh, there's a deep theology there of redemption for us uh, that Paul writes. And while we won't take the time to read the whole passage, what we can see in it is that Christ created all things, is before all things, he holds all things together and will reconcile all things on heaven and on earth. With the emphasis on the idea of all things, a relevant question is, what is the limit of all things? What does all things encompass or include? And the answer might not be what we normally think. Evangelical theologian Douglas Moo tells us that all things refers to all the created universe. And while certainly Paul's primary interest is the redemption of humanity, the nature of redemption extends to the whole of creation, restoring it and making it new. In Romans 8, Paul says that creation groans, waiting to be set free from bondage. Therefore, when we participate in and delight in creation, we are not anxiously trying to save the world from destruction, but rather we are joining in the saving work that God will bring to completion at the return of Christ. So in summary, we have a hope that God will renew creation in which humans and animal life will live in harmony together, free from violence, and where images from Old Testament prophecy tell us that the wolf will lie down with the lamb. And in that hope, we can say with Wendell Berry, and certainly any sermon on ecology and Christian faith is incomplete without a quote from Wendell Berry. Let, me say, let us say with Wendell Berry, we can be joyful though we have, though we have considered all the facts. We can be joyful though we have considered all the facts. And we know the facts about our environment and they are concerning. Before we were concerned, or before we were bur burdened by COVID-19, we were left anxious by the state of our planet. Global warming, deforestation, desertification, or desertif desertification. Desertification would be a bad thing too. We don't want to be rid of desert in our world. But desertification, species extinction, and pollution, to name a few. And we anxiously asked ourselves, what kind of planet are we leaving for our children and their children and their children's children? And yes, such a concern should motivate us. We should pay heed 
to the seventh generation principle of the Iroquois First Nation, who emphasized that decisions we make now should consider the impact seven generations later. Yet our concern for the state of our planet can't cripple us because we have a hope in Christ's renewal that brings us joy. So in, so in closing today, I want to encourage you as your Sabbath practice, take delight in creation and be part of what God is doing. Hug a tree, plant some pansies, wash your hands, and get them dirty again. If this uh, subject of creation care and ecology and the Christian response to, to nature and creation intrigues you or interests you, I want to invite you into a discussion. We have, uh, there are a small group of us here at Force who have met once uh, to discuss this, and, and we, we're due to do this again. And so it, most likely, obviously, this will be done over Zoom, uh, and we hope to do this in the near future. Because as Catherine Hayhoe, a... Uh, Client change, uh, client change scientist and, and Christian says, you need to begin by talking about it. As well, I would like to make available uh, to us as a Forestview family, and we'll do this through email, resources uh, for discussion, resources for reading, and certainly lots of good um, video or documentary resources for viewing uh, with our, while we have our time here at home. Thank you, Forestview. God bless.